1: Who were the Philadelphia Quakers professional football team of the 1920s? Well, their history was short-lived, but they had a great coach. It was filled with some top players of the era, and they won a title in their only season of existence. They might be the only professional team in major professional football that's ever done that. Sound interesting? Well, listen in on this tale of football triumph and demise as we look at the Philadelphia Quakers coming up in just a moment.
0: This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
1: Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And we love the beginning of each week to talk about some early professional football teams, the history, the origins, and, and what happened to some of these teams from early pro football. And today is no exception. We have a great one to talk about. This is, uh, we alluded to it a little bit in some other podcasts, including last week uh, on Football History Rewind, we talked about the 1926 season professional football, but a very prominent team of the mid-1920s uh, with you know a lot of looks back at professional history is the Philadelphia Quakers. They were quite a substantial gridiron team for sure. So just who were the Quakers and what is their football story? Well, it's going to go all the way back to the early 1920s, and the team uh, was owned by a man of Leo S. Conway. Now, Conway was connected with sports promotions around the Philadelphia area as his name pops up in articles of boxing matches and early golf tournaments in the early to mid 1920s. Uh, of course, you know Scott Ferguson Green shared with us you know back uh, a little over a year ago when he talked about the Union Club of Phoenixville that Leo Conway was in charge, uh, one of the managers of that great program they had, uh, you know, in Phoenixville with the Phoenixville Big Red uh, football team, and you know he you know really was got involved with some pro football uh, around that. Uh, Scott uh, recently in a conversation shared with me that Leo was at some of those early uh, NFL meetings, APFA meetings before as the NFL would develop, it was later developed into the NFL uh, and was trying to get Phoenixville as a franchise in the APFA and some things didn't work out so much for that. So Conway goes back into Phoenixville area to the club and uh, the club decides, hey, we're no longer funding big-time football. We're just going to put out, uh, you know, guys that uh, are in the club and just play some, some regular, you know, regular playing football. So they weren't going to be real competitive as a major pro football team anymore. So Conway and, uh, you know, some of the players like Heine Miller, that was the, the player coach of the club, uh, they ended up going to uh, forming a new team, uh, Pro Football Uh, in the suburbs the Union Quakers of Philadelphia in a 1921 season an independent team and during their only season of operation 1921 that club won the Philadelphia City Championship uh, as most of their home games were at the venue of the Baker Bowl Uh, but they claimed you know the Philadelphia City Championship for professional football now Leo Conway obviously still had the bug uh, to operate a pro football team uh, as that club you know that was their only year 1921 Union Club of, of uh, Union Quakers of Philadelphia they sort of uh, expired and uh, no longer existed after the next year so about five years later uh, still having that bug he wanted to give it another try uh, you know and as, as Scott has pointed out to us you know he uh, really wanted to since he wasn't allowed in the nfl he saw an opportunity to have a club go into this new league that uh the red grange and his manager one of his managers cc Pyle, were creating uh the american football league uh, or a original afl otherwise known as the grange league uh, unlike a majority of their league opponents, the Quakers had no financial connections with the league's founders, C.C. Pyle and Red Grange. And it's not a hard stretch to imagine that, that Conway uh, being you know a, a sports promoter from for a while now and C.C. Pyle, another uh, big sports promoter of the era, had possibly known or dealt with each other in past athletic promotions or two. I don't have any proof of that, but I'm sure they probably went in some of the same circles uh, and knew about each other. But anyway, Conway definitely wanted to have a pro team Team that was successful. Now Conley, Conway had secured a venue for his team to play in their home games at the Centennial Stadium on Saturdays. Uh, they couldn't play Sundays because of Pennsylvania's blue laws that would prohibit work or businesses on Sundays. Uh, you know, we have some other stories on that that wasn't lifted until 1933. And that was the advent of the Philadelphia Eagles and Pittsburgh. Pirates, who became the Steelers later, uh, different story, but that, that's when that sort of expires. So we're, we're a good uh, decade and a half, uh, or I'm sorry, good uh, half a decade before that happens. So Conway, uh, for this 1926 season, hired on coach Bob Falwell, who just a season prior was working with Dr. Harry March and starting up the New York football Giants uh, franchise, uh, of course, with uh, Tim Mara as the owner. And Falwell had a previous coaching experience at the collegiate level, both at Navy and at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, we're going to talk a lot about that. His uh, Pennsylvania team uh, in 1916 had a really good team, a real strong team a lot of years, but uh, they end up going and playing in one of the first Rose Bowls. And uh, Scott Ferguson Green is going to join us next week in our Rose Bowl celebration to talk about that uh, particular Rose Bowl, and we'll get a little bit more into Coach Falwell at that time as well. Now, his connection to Penn helped him bring former stars from the university with him to the pros. In fact, the moniker of the Quakers was really quite appropriate and one that Falwell wanted uh, as the majority of the team played their college football in Pennsylvania, some even at Penn, and of course, uh, the you know Falwell's connection to Penn as well. Uh, guys like Century Milstead, was with Coach Falwell in New York uh, with the Giants. Uh, The Quakers were an experienced group with the roster, had nine players, including Milstead, Charlie Way, Butch Spagna, and and Bull Ben Beeman, uh, who had previously played for various National Football League teams. Also, they added stars like George Tully and Al Cruz that rounded out a superior roster that figured to compete with any opponent. And uh, people were getting really excited about that. Now, the combined experience gave the team an edge in the trenches, particularly on defense. They were really stout there, that's for sure. And it showed, too, as Philadelphia gave up only five points per game on average in the 1926 season. Remember, this is a very run-heavy offensive era of professional football. The addition of All-American Glenn Klingler uh, merely added to the defense and stoutness, too, as he intercepted four passes in his league debut on November 4th, 1926, which was a 24 to nothing victory over the Rock Island Independents. And as you remember back to that Football History Rewind that we talked about, episode 59, uh, the Rock Island Independents were a former APFA NFL team. Uh, they defected over to play in this AFL of CC uh, Piles and Red Granges. So they were an experienced group. Now the Quakers and Granges team, the New York Yankees, were definitely the creams of the crop in the AFL, not only in talent and wins and losses, but in crowd sizes as well. These two teams split their head-to-head matches during the regular season and would meet for a final showdown to see who would be the league champions on Thanksgiving weekend in 1926. Now, Philadelphia had a 6-2 record uh, entering the fray, which was slightly better than New York's 8-3 record, and of course, they each had a loss to each other. So the Quakers would earn the home game for this rubber match game that they would have here Thanksgiving weekend. There were some 15,000 fans that President at Philadelphia Shibe Park on November 27th, 1926 to witness this game for all the marbles in the championship of the first American Football League in its first and only season. The Yankees crushed the Quakers 23-0 early in the season, but just a couple days before Turkey Day and Philadelphia returned to favor and won 13-10, thus prompting this third game to be played. The Falwell wanted to reinforce his backfield before his final game as he knew New York would really key in on Cruz, so he inked halfback Doc Elliott, previously of Lafayette College in the Cleveland Panthers uh, of the APFA NFL, to help tote the load. It was probably fortunate that he did, as Philadelphia lost Cruz early in the third meeting with New York. It was like a first quarter injury. The Yankees also had their own injuries to deal with uh, with their star runners, as Red Grange himself could not play at all in a game due to a significant hip injury. And uh, FS64 Sports Blogspot has a great quote that tells us about the early portion of this game. They say, quote, Five minutes into the first quarter, the Quakers took over at their 20-yard line following a punt into the end zone by New York's Tryron. Now, quarterback Johnny Scott ran for five yards, and Doc Elliott gained five more on a first down. Cruz and Elliott had short carries that gained another five yards. Scott completed a pass, and Philadelphia got a 25-yard boost thanks to a clipping penalty that put the ball on the New York 30. The Yankees stiffened. But the Quakers converted another third down thanks to some razzle-dazzle as wingback Adrian Ford lateraled to Scott, who tossed the ball back in a forward pass to end George Tully, gained 17 yards. Three plays later, Scott passed to Ford, and who ran for a touchdown, knocking over Tryon along the way, and Bob Dinsmore drop-kicked the extra point to put the Quakers ahead by the score of 7-0. End quote. Now, the defense of the Quakers remained stout for most of the rest of the game until New York started throwing in the fourth stanza. Now, the Yankees narrowed the Philly lead with a touchdown but missed the extra point. But Philadelphia adjusted on defense against this uh, potent uh, passing attack of the New York club and booted a couple field goals and held on for the 13-6 victory and thus won the first AFL Title of the Red Granjera. Now Conway and his franchise have won that and had great crowds all season, but their heavy payroll was keeping them in the red. In fact, the whole league, save the Yankees, was in financial trouble. With many AFL teams already have folded before the end of the season. Uh, Conway decided to challenge the NFL's champions, the nearby Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, to an exhibition game, but uh, to make a little bit more money for his team and his players, help payroll a little bit. But Frankfurt declined, and probably in part because they hoped that the Quakers would go under, so as to eliminate the local competition for crowds and exposure in the Philadelphia area. Though they couldn't get the NFL champs to play, they did get a middle-of-the-pack NFL squad in the New York Giants probably Falwell's uh, the connection because they were his employer the year before and he knew Dr. Dr. March who was heavily invested into time and spent in developing the New York football giants and this was uh, a really the final chance for the Quakers to try and climb out of a hole with the last gasp to even exist further beyond this game however his hope and was lost when the Giants dominated in this exhibition game in a lopsided 31-0 route and uh, sort of ended the AFL altogether and the Philadelphia Quakers, so it was their last game as well. Sort of the death knell of both. Several of the players for Philadelphia were recognized by all pro teams that were selected for both the NFL and the AFL. A lot of newspapers did this. Al Cruz, George Tully, and Bull Beeman were all second team choices by the Chicago Tribune. And Century Milstead was a third team honoree by Collier's Magazine. So just some great history on early pro football, uh, the Philadelphia Quakers of the AFL Red Granges League and uh, some great players and some great names. And of course, Coach Falwell has been mentioned a few times here lately here in the Big Ben as we talk about the Penn Quakers and Rose Bulls and uh, you know this Pennsylvania, this Philadelphia Quakers team as well. So hope you enjoyed the little bit of history we talked about today. Uh, You can find more at pigskindispatch.com. We try to talk about football history as much as we can to preserve the great history of the game that we love. And we hope that uh, you'll join us for each and every episode. So please follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We are at Pigskin Dispatch. And make sure you uh, put us as a favorite and a like And, you know, if you're listening to this on YouTube or your favorite podcast provider, so you know exactly when we're coming out with a new episode, and we surely appreciate you. Spread the news, but we're here to stay. So, till tomorrow, everybody, have a great Gridiron Day. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history.
0: on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch Podcast. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.